Exodus chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, we've been in a short series of messages just looking at some of the, the stories we heard in Sunday school, some of the great stories of the Old Testament. We spent some time in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 talking about creation and the fall of man. Uh, we, uh, we looked at uh, Jacob wrestling with an angel last week. Oh, Noah and the flood was in there too. Uh, today we want to look at Exodus chapter 3 and talk for just a few moments about Moses and the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. 
But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray you'll speak to us now as we look at this story. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would just uh, anoint me with the Holy Spirit of God. Help me today, Lord, to say the things I ought, nothing else. And I pray, Father, you'd prepare these, your people, and that uh, every one of us would have ears to hear. May we all be praying right now and asking, Lord, what is it that you have to say to me uh, at this particular time? And I pray you would indeed speak to all of us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Well, let's start again with some background information. We've had to do this on the other stories as well. Uh, We need to understand a little bit about uh, who we're talking about here. Moses is one of the most important characters in the Bible. He was a Hebrew. He was born during the time when the children of Israel were were living in and enslaved by Egypt. He had been raised by the Egyptians. And then at the age of 40, he had come to visit his uh, Hebrew brethren, and had seen one of them being beat up on by uh, one of the Egyptians, and so he had killed the Egyptian. And then he had to flee for his life, and he had then gone to the land of Midian. Uh, That's basically where we find him now. When we come uh, upon this burning bush in the wilderness, Moses is now 80 years old. He was 40 when he left Egypt. He had lived in Midian for 40 years. That's made clear at a couple of different places. Stephen made it clear in his sermon in Acts chapter 7 when he said, Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. 
And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. So he's eighty at this point. And what took place here at the age of eighty in his life was a turning point for him, and not only for him, but for all of his people, for all of the Jewish people, and really for all of us as well. So what happened here? Well, the first thing that happened here is there was an astonishing meeting. Don't you think it was an astonishing meeting? It's talked about in the first nine verses of chapter 3. Moses, at this time a shepherd, tending his flock near Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb's another name for Sinai. You see them used interchangeably in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses even used them interchangeably. He called it Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 11. He said, on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then he referred to the same event later in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he said, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. So it's the same place. We don't know exactly where Mount Sinai was, but uh, it's referring to the same place. So here he is. He comes to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he notices an amazing sight. A bush was burning, but it was not being consumed. This intrigued Moses. This would intrigue any of us. And so he decided to investigate And once he drew near the place, he found the bush was not only burning, but it was speaking. The bush was speaking to him. A voice was coming out of the bush. Now, last week when we talked about Jacob and his wrestling with the angel, we we learned that from time to time in the Old Testament, God would appear to people uh, in some form, uh, various forms. Theologians call those theophanies, God appearing. And this is another example. This voice was God. God spoke. He appeared to Moses as a supernatural flame, just as one day in the future he would appear to all the children of Israel as a pillar of fire that led them across the desert and across the Red Sea and throughout their years of wandering in the wilderness. And you might well ask, well, how do you know it was God? Pastor? Well, I know because it says it right here. In verse number 6, the voice identified itself as God. I am the God of your father. And Moses reacted to this voice and to this revelation as if he was in the very presence of God. The end of verse number 6, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And if we go even further, verses 12 through 16, we see that he gave even more evidence and, and identified himself even more plainly as God. God spoke to him from the bush. And Moses' initial reaction is interesting. Upon hearing God call him, he answered, verse number 4, he said, here I am. Here I am. There are other examples when men were called by God in the Bible and and, and answered in the same way. Uh, Abraham answered that way in Genesis 22, Jacob in Genesis 46, Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's a good way to answer. So here, at least at the very beginning of this conversation, Moses is on good ground here. He's answering well. Here I am. And as I read that, it, it made me wonder. It ought to make us all wonder, how would we answer if uh, something like that happened to us today, how do we answer? How do you answer when God calls out to you? I'm unaware of anybody else other than Moses who's ever had God speak to them out of a bush. Have you ever had God speak to you out of a burning bush? Uh, I don't think so. But all of us experience him calling us to salvation, don't we? The gospel's proclaimed. The Holy Spirit gets hold of our hearts. We're called to respond. And Moses' response was in the affirmative. He, he was basically saying, I am here, Lord. What do you want? And that's the only proper response. Anytime God calls us, I am here, Lord. 
What do you want? Some, some, sometimes God calls us to areas of service, whether in our local church or someplace else. Josh and Elena this week are out uh, in another church as they're preparing to go to the mission field. So sometimes God calls people to things like that. Uh, has he called you to such? What is your response? Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I think Moses' example is worth emulating, at least in this part of the conversation. And his reaction didn't end there. He was instructed to remove his shoes for he was standing on holy ground. Verse number 5, the text doesn't say he did it, but it implies that he did. He hid his face out of fear of looking at God. Verse number 6, the, the picture that Moses is presenting to us right here at this point is reverential awe in the presence of God. And so God spoke again. And what God said to Moses here, I think, is one of some of the most wonderful things that we read anywhere in the Bible. He said in verse number 7, I have seen and I have heard and I know. In verse number 8, he said, and I have come down. In verse number 10, I will send you. Now think about those things. I have seen. I have heard. I know. I have come down. And I will send you. God's plan here, which he lays out for Moses, was to rescue his people and take them to a land where they would be safe and blessed, to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's just a phrase that means prosperous. A, pros- a land of prosperity and plenty. And so I want us to spend a few moments here looking at these four amazing things God said. He actually said five, but we'll save that one for a minute. Four amazing things. He said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. God was not blind to the treatment the Israelites endured in Egypt. He saw it clearly. I have seen. And I don't know about you, but that's the truth that never gets old to me. God sees. I've been through some things in my life, and and many of you have as well. I'm sure I'm not the only one to have wondered in the midst of some trial, God, what in the world are you doing? Are you paying any attention to any of this? Do you see what I'm going through? And at times like that, I, I, I want to remember what God said here from the bush. Yeah, I have surely seen whatever you're going through. He sees it. Whatever hurt, pain, whatever need, whatever disappointment, whatever disillusionment, whatever oppression you are experiencing, whatever betrayal, God sees. I have surely seen. He said, I have heard their cry. I've heard their cry. These Israelites have been praying for deliverance for 400 years. Those prayers had not gone unheard. They might have thought they did, but they didn't. Quite the opposite. He heard. Glory to God. He not only sees. He hears. And I, I, wish, I wish I could get hold of this truth more in my heart. I really do. I know if I did, if I really got hold of that, I would pray more. And I know that if you really got hold of that, you would pray more. Our midweek prayer meeting, attendance at which really has been pretty good recently, would be bursting at the seams if we really, really, really got hold of this. God hears. He hears. The psalmist knew it. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I love something Spurgeon said once. Of course, I guess you know I love everything Spurgeon said. But uh, I love this, this particularly. He said, because he's the living God, he can hear. Because he's a loving God, he will hear. Although we get hold of that. I have heard their cry. He went on though. He said, I know their sorrows. I have seen. I have heard. I know their sorrows. It's one thing to see, and it's another thing to hear. But God's understanding of their need went beyond those senses. He knew 
what they went through. Our God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. There's nothing about us he doesn't know. There's nothing that that his people were going through there that he was not intimately aware of, that he had complete knowledge of. I know their sorrows. Four years ago, my wife Beth died when an aneurysm ruptured in her brain. A couple of weeks ago, our sister Sue Oswald Stephen Sue Oswald, our missionaries that we support, Sue Oswald, suffered the exact same thing that happened during the day. And they were able to get her to the emergency room and uh, do some surgery and things like that. She's still there. You need to be praying for them. The morning after it happened, Brother Steve Oswald sent me an email. And in that email, he said this, I knew you would understand more than anybody else what I'm going through. And the fact is, I do. Others might see it. Others might hear it. But I, I know it. I, I, I've been where they are. I know what they're experiencing. You see, God sees and God hears, and all that's wonderful. But he knows. And that's infinitely more comfortable, comforting to me uh, and valuable to me. Uh, Jeremy Camp said, every time that you feel forsaken, every time that you feel alone, he is near to the brokenhearted. Every tear he knows. He knows every hurt and every sting. He has walked the suffering. He knows. He knows. David, when he was so oppressed by Saul that he was forced to hide in a cave, could nonetheless sing, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. God knows. So I've seen, I've heard, I know, and oh, this one's glorious. I have come down. I have come down to deliver them. And I don't know about you, if you weren't on shouting ground from the first three, you ought to be on shouting ground right now. We ought to be saying amen to that. I have come down, God said, to deliver them. Oh, it'd be one thing if God saw their need and heard their cries and even knew their deepest hurts and then said, well, that's, that's, that's nice, but I'm not going to do anything about that. But that's not what he did. He did something about it. He saw, he heard, he knew, and he did do something about it. He came down to deliver them. And isn't this a glorious picture of the gospel? I mean, think about this. This is, this, is, this is wonderful. We were lost in sin. We were enslaved to sin. We were dead in sin, seeing and hearing and knowing that God sent his son. God came down. Isaiah cried out, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. And so he did. Jesus said, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the son of man who is in heaven. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me, John chapter 6. Jesus came down to deliver you and to deliver me, to deliver us all from the oppression of sin. Well, this no doubt was an astonishing meeting for Moses. He's reeling from what he's seeing, just what he's seeing was enough. But then to to hear these things from the midst of that, he, he had to be in amazement. But then God said something else to him from the midst of those flames. God gave him an intimidating assignment. It was an astonishing meeting. Now there was an intimidating assignment. We read about that in verses 10 through 22. And I I don't know about you, but I can imagine Moses is jumping up and down for joy up to this point. I mean, he knew the plight of his people. He was well aware of what they were going through. He had even come to the defense of one of his brethren 40 years earlier. So he knew. He knew what they were going through. So the news God had a plan for their rescue and deliverance And God said, I have seen, I have heard, I know I've come down. But now he added one more thing. And I have to believe this thing wiped the smile right off of Moses' face. I'm sending you. 
I'm sending you. Verse number 10. Now, the Bible's clear that God is not constrained in any way to use men and women to accomplish his will. He doesn't need us. He didn't need Moses. But the Bible's also clear that that's the method he chooses. He could certainly reach your family, your friends with the gospel without using you. But that's the method he chooses. Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. There's not a one of us who name the name of Christ who are exempt from that assignment. We are called to do that, which our church mission declares we're called to do, which is to go and make disciples and to do it everywhere and to do it until Jesus comes. Is it an intimidating assignment? Yeah, it is. But it's our assignment nonetheless. Moses' response was not quite as positive as his first response had been. Now he's got something that bothers him a little bit. And he balked. And he asked God a couple of questions. Verse number 11, he said, who am I? Who am I? I'm a nobody. Lord, why me? I find it amusing that God did not deny that. He didn't try to prop him up at all. He didn't say, oh, you're, 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 you're better than you think you are. No, none of that at all. He pretty much uh, agreed with him. And he answered him with a couple of promises. He said, I will be with you. And you will succeed once you arrive there. That last part isn't specifically promised, but it's implied by saying that Moses and those he led out of Egypt would worship God on the mountain. That's an indication that they would indeed succeed. It doesn't matter a bit who you are, Moses. I will be with you, and I'm telling you, you will succeed, and you will worship here on this mountain. And so Moses asked another question. He said, who shall I say sent me? Verse number 13. Okay, so you'll be with me, and I hear this promise. That's all good. When I go and tell them uh, of your plan, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's a very fascinating and interesting name. I am is uh, Yahweh uh, in, in our Bibles. Yahweh. It's oftentimes referred to as the Tetragrammaton. It's four letters without any concept without any vowels, Y-H-W-H. It's usually represented in our English Bibles as Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, all capital letters. I am. It describes God as the self-existent one. He is and always has been and always will be. He is unchanging. He is the one who is always present. In effect, God was saying to Moses, that the God of the universe, the one, the one who was and is and ever will be, the creator and sustainer of all that is, was the one who was sending him. And so God's saying to Moses, I've heard, I've seen, I, I know, I've come down to deliver my people, and I, I am sending you. I, the unchanging, ever-existing God, will be with you and give you success. We could go on and spend time in the latter part of chapter 3, and we could see where he describes all the amazing things that he's going to do. For sake of time, we won't do that. You can read ahead, and you can see all the amazing things that he did then do in Egypt. Uh, The elders of Israel would believe Moses. They would approach Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh would not grant their request. God would indeed strike Egypt. I like what he says in verse number 20 when he says, I will strike Egypt with all my wonders, and then Pharaoh would let them go. And not only that... They would, uh, they would be enriched as they left. They would plunder Egypt, and they would leave not as slaves, but as wealthy at their former master's expense. 
I will go with you, Moses. I, the self-existent, eternal God, the I am Yahweh, will go with you. And I will do something amazing and mighty that you will get to see. I will deliver my people in a way that's never been before seen, miraculous by any measure. And you and my people, as free people, will worship on this mountain. And I can't help but think how we, brothers and sisters, have, have been given the same assurance to strengthen us in the task that has been assigned to us? Did not Jesus come and speak to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Both of those things are in there. All authority is given to me, and I am with you always. Well, so Moses experiences this astonishing meeting. He's, 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 he's seen this burning bush. He's received this intimidating assignment. And then one last thing. It very nearly became a blown opportunity. Very nearly became a blown opportunity. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Now, I don't know about you, but I look forward to meeting Moses. He's an interesting individual. You know, he wrote this account. He could have made himself look pretty good here, don't you think? He could have painted a much different picture than he did. But he didn't gloss over his failings. He showed us his frailty and his weakness and all its glory here. I mean, after all God has said, wouldn't you think that after hearing all of that, he'd be saying, okay, I'm ready. I've got the ever-existing Yahweh behind me. I'm ready. He didn't. He continued to push back, and he continued to question God's call on his life. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, well, 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 what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? And the answer to that was already given in the previous chapter. The one who was having trouble with belief here was Moses. There was not going to be any problem. God had already said they're going to believe you. There are, he'd already said the elders will go with you to Pharaoh. He's already said they're going to be delivered. No, Moses was the one who was having trouble believing. And I read that, and I think, isn't God's patience wonderful? Now, I thank God for it. If I'd been God, and now all people in the world can be thankful that I'm not God. If, if I had been God, I would have reached out and just slapped him upside of the head, boxed his ears. Are you not listening? But he didn't. Not God. He gave him three wonderful miracles. And we read about him, so I don't need to go into great detail about him. He gave him the miracle of the snake. He gave him the miracle of the hand in the, in the bosom, which became leprous. He gave him the miracle of, 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 of water becoming blood. And he said, those things I'll give you, these signs I'll give you, that will demonstrate to all that I'm with you. And they'll believe. I think about that, and I can't help but think how there's an application to us there as well. We have something that authenticates us as well, don't we? We go to someone to share the gospel with them and they don't believe? Or we fear they won't believe? Don't we have something wonderful? We have the Bible, God's completed word. It's the most unassailable of proofs. When I start to feel like Moses and I start to feel like I don't want to witness to somebody because what if they don't believe? I remember the amazing and wonderful and powerful Bible he has given me. Better than a shepherd's staff turning into a snake. Although that would be pretty cool. Better than being able to stick your hand in your bosom and pull it out and it's leprous or snow. That would be pretty cool too. But we have the Bible. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper 
in the things for which I sent it. That's why we need to memorize Scripture. That's why we need to read our Bibles, so that when we are before somebody else uh, that doesn't want to believe us, we can use it. You know one of the easiest ways to fulfill your role as a witness for Jesus is just memorize a verse and share with people. Can you quote John 3.16? Can you quote it? When someone doesn't want to hear, just quote it. I'll never forget one time I was watching years ago the Phil Donahue show. Is anybody old enough uh, like me to remember the Phil Donahue show? That was a long time ago. And I think I've probably shared this illustration before, but it's, it's a good one and it applies here. Uh, Jerry Falwell was on the show that day as a guest, and there was some atheist moron on there as well. And they were debating about something. I remember nothing about the debate. I don't, I don't know anything about that. I just remember that at one particular point in the debate, the atheist was spouting his nonsense, and Jerry Falwell quoted from the Bible. And Phil Donahue put up his hand. He said, oh, now, wait a minute. We can't do that. And Falwell just looked at him, and he says, you can't. I'm going to ask you to not quote from the Bible. He says, because once the Bible comes out, and once you start quoting from the Bible, nobody can argue with that. And I thought, amen. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? But that's what we have. We have that, uh, that available to us. Nobody can argue with Scripture. Well, so he says, what if, what if they don't believe me? Then in verse number 10, he says, but Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I wasn't a good speaker before this burning bush meeting. And, and kind of throwing a little dig at God here, he says, and I'm not now either after you've been talking to me. I won't be any good at this. I'm slow of speech. We could give Moses the benefit of the doubt here and, and say he was just being modest. Maybe that's possible. But I don't think so. I think he was making an excuse. You know what Stephen said about him? In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So if he was slow of speech at this point, something happened down the line when God got a hold of him and he became mighty in word. No, I, I, I think this is just a, a, a case where he was, again, hesitating. He was, he was uh, just making an excuse. And God dealt with this objection, I think, in a humorous way. He said, you know, I know a little something about people's mouths. I know a little something about tongues. I mean, after all, I did make them. I will be with your mouth. So, I mean, you've got to put yourself in Moses' place now. He doesn't want to do this. And he's, come to, he's run out of ideas. He's run out of objections. And so now what does he do? This is not an objection anymore. Now he just simply says, no. Verse number 13, please send somebody else. I think it's amazing. It's here at this point in the conversation, by the way, where we find God's patience finally had an end. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses in verse 14. He's, he's dealt all very patiently with all of his fears and his sense of inadequacy. But this verse, this is just simple disobedience. God had said go. Moses had said no. And God was angry. We ought to think about that a little bit. We ought to let that sink down into our brains. Again, I'm impressed by the fact Moses is the one who's writing this account. He doesn't shy away from telling us how his disobedience raised the wrath of the Lord. But at this point, the conversation between Yahweh and Moses came to a close. God dealt with this final defiance from Moses by promising that his brother Aaron would come alongside him and help in the effort, which he did. And then verse number 18 begins with, so Moses... There's a lot more we could talk about here, but I'm going to stop right there. I think we could sum up this story from the Old Testament like this. Moses 
was given the good news that God would deliver his people, and then he was sent to deliver that message. He was given the news, and then he was sent to deliver the message. I wonder two things this morning. I wonder, first of all, have you heard the good news that God has delivered his people? Have you heard the news? Have you come to realize that he sees you and your need? That he has heard your cries, that he knows what is in your heart, and that he has come down in the form of his only son, Jesus Christ, to deliver you. Have you heard that if you will only repent of your sins and believe that good news, you'll be saved? Have you heard that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Have you heard that? If so, you need to act on it. You need to act on it before it's too late. You need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That means you need to pray. You need to tell him, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died to provide forgiveness for sin. And I accept you as my Savior. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? Why would you ever say no to it? You need to do it now. That's one thing I wonder. But I also wonder this, and this is for you who have received Christ. Do you hear the call from God to go and tell? Have you heard God after all after all that glorious news has been shared with you? Have you heard him say, oh, by the way, I'm sending you? You heard him say that? We, the recipients of the most glorious and wonderful news ever given to a people, are called upon by the giver of that news to share it. God has said to each and every one of us who name the name of Christ, I have seen your need and heard your cries. I know your brokenness, and I have come down in the form of my only son, Jesus, to deliver you. Hallelujah. What a message. What a joy. What an announcement. We who were dead are now alive. We who were lost are found. We who were once orphans are now sons and daughters of the living God. We who were once paupers are now heirs of the king of the universe. And he says to us, I'm sending you. Others don't know. I'm sending you. Well, let us pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. And I pray that as we think through these things, the application to our hearts are cl- is clear. I pray, Father, that if there are those here who have never trusted Christ as Savior, that they'll see in this amazing, astonishing meeting that, he, that Moses had with you and uh, the glorious things that you, you said. Lord, I pray they'll see what a wonderful news it is to them. Oh, Father, I thank you that you have seen and that you have heard and that you know our need. I thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us lost and without hope. I thank you, Lord, that you came down in, the, in, 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 in Jesus Christ and uh, paid the price. I'm so thankful for that. I pray if there's anybody who doesn't know that, that they'll know it. I pray, Father, if there's anybody here today who has never acted on that. Maybe they know it in their brain, but they've never taken the time or, or, or knelt before you and said, Lord Jesus, I know that's about me. I need to be saved. I am a sinner. I've never trusted Christ, and I'm doing it right now. Lord, I pray if there's even one, they'd do it. And I pray also, Lord, for the believers who are here, that they would think through this as well. Some of us, Lord, may be called to something else. Some of us may be called to a service uh, that we've been saying no to. Help us to learn from Moses. I thank you, Father, that he did not stay disobedient. I thank you, Lord, that you convinced him and that he went on and did such great and wonderful and mighty things. 
Lord, I pray that none of us would make the mistake of saying, Lord, send somebody else. May we, as Moses did, change our mind about that and go. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to what you call us to do. Well, we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.